This is Duke University. I, I love Dan Durham, I think, for three main reasons. One, because of you. Two, because it's an opportunity to celebrate Durham. And three, it's an opportunity to bring an outstanding uh, local business leader to join us today to challenge us to use our business skills for social, environmental, and economic impact. And we'll talk a little bit about John Replicle in a few minutes. But I first want to start off with you. You know, you've come here, and it's been a whirlwind. I'll tell you, uh, when we did an information session three years ago during orientation, we got maybe 50 or 60 people show up. Those of you who might have come for the information session we did jointly with the Corporate Sustainability Initiative might remember that we filled up one room, we moved down the hall, ended up filling up McClellan, and we counted 180 people came for that information session, practically half of the first-year class. Then you might reflect just three days ago, we had our Community Projects Day in which 200 of you went out and raised the first walls of the house that Fuqua built for Habitat for Humanity, and then also another 250 of you engaged with eight nonprofits and small business in springboard brainstorming sessions, and I'll tell you, the buzz after those sessions, those nonprofit and business leaders came up to me and were, A, really impressed with your, your skills and insightfulness, your, your understanding, and B, just were really excited about the, the energy that came out of that, and C, we're really excited about some of the ideas that you had. So all of you have turned in those ideas to, uh, to Ruth, and we're compiling those, and we're going to share them back with those uh, client organizations. So I want to uh, thank you for that. The second reason I'm excited about Durham, you know, Durham is just an amazing place. There's a rich tradition of entrepreneurial leadership and social innovation in Durham that many people don't even know. And, you know, Durham actually sits on the crossroads of two trading paths for the Native Americans. So you go back long into the history of this region, and it's a history of commerce and social innovation. As a matter of fact, one of the financiers that really funded the westward expansion of Daniel Boone was right here from the Raleigh-Durham area, and he really helped fund some of the earliest explorations that Daniel Boone did as he pushed westward. Um, you know, after the Civil War, and, and, and many of you might know that the Civil War actually ended about a mile from here at, uh, at Bennett's Point Farm, uh, where was the last, the final um, surrender was, was, was signed. Uh, a lot of the, the departing Confederate and Union soldiers, while they were camped out in this area, discovered a bit of a vice, a, a special type of tobacco, bright leaf tobacco. And bright leaf tobacco and textiles really fueled industry of this region. A lot of very well-known families came out of some of the industries, the Duke family being one of them. Um, but what that meant is there was an in industrial base here that really helped power the growth of uh, an emerging African-American middle class. As a matter of fact, uh, by some accounts, the largest concentration of African-American wealth in the country uh, was actually here in the Durham area around the turn of the century. You find many fascinating industries sprouting up, the oldest African-American-owned life insurance company, the uh, second or uh, third oldest African-American-owned bank. So there's a whole springing up of, of industries, and uh, these industries in the textiles and tobacco industries also were some of the first in the South to uh, have African-Americans working uh, in, in the industries. Then there's a rich tradition of, of civil disobedience and activism uh, in the civil rights movement that some of the leaders came from the Durham area and joined up with the folks in Greensboro. Now you can also see some really interesting things in, in the community. You have the growth of self-help um, community, uh, the Center for Community Self-Help or Self-Help Credit Union, which is now the second largest community development finance institution in the country, grew up right here by an amazing social entrepreneur, Martin Eakes, who you'll probably have a chance to hear speak sometime in the next two years, and he'll, he'll move you to tears as he talks about um, what led him to, to found the uh, self-help on $77 profit of a bake sale that was held and is now um, billions and billions of dollars of business. You have an amazing group of, of social ventures, some of which we're going to visit today. Um, TROSA, for example, example triangle, residential, uh, triangle Residential Options for Substance Abusers is very well known around the country um, and, and so many more here. And you also have in recent years an inflow of companies that are focused on sustainable business. And I think Burt's Bees is a great example of that. And I'm, I'm particularly excited to, to welcome John here with us this morning. Uh, I think Burt's Bees is, is one example that we have a growing number in the community that are devoted to making sure that they're incorporating sustainability and considerations of corporate social responsibility, community engagement, social impact, not only into um, their philanthropy, but also into their corporate strategy and operations and so forth. So let me give you a brief introduction to John uh, and, and also add maybe a, a personal note to it. 
Um, so John Repogel was uh, joined Birchbees in 2006 as the president and CEO, where he uh, came to oversee all the company's activities. And he really has set the tone and the direction over these last several years. Prior to coming to Birchbees, he was at Unilever as a general manager for skincare in North America. And this is fascinating, where he helped to launch the Real Beauty Campaign for Dove and establish the Dove Self-Esteem Fund for Young Girls. His leadership was marked by successful efforts to improve the division's innovation, recraft their marketing, and build a strong leadership team. And he's held many other previous positions, but also for some of you in the audience who are interested in consulting, you might like to hear that he began his career as a consultant with uh, the Boston Consulting Group. So John's love for Burt's Bees products and his family both played a role in his decision to move to Burt's Bees. He has four daughters, and he says, raising their awareness to environmental and natural product consciousness provides a very tangible benefit in my life. I just feel like this is a place where I can get to be my best, do great work, and do some good in the process. With a clear founding vision and a great team, the company has built a sustainable and ownable model for growing the triple bottom line at Burt's Bees, the greater good business model. And John says, it links our commitment to well-being, sustainability, and social equity, and governs all aspects of the business from the bottom up to the top down, connecting grassroots to grass tops. Uh, Bert Speeds believes that a group of empowered employees at the helm and a meaningful mission will achieve amazing work and deliver great natural products to consumers. Now, I just want to add a couple of personal notes. John is an example of someone who lives this philosophy in his personal life as well. He's an active member of the community, um, and both in his business decisions, such as recently relocating the headquarters of the company to downtown Durham and the American Tobacco Campus, bringing all kinds of additional folks to downtown, uh, you know, bringing business to the local eateries and other things. But also, he serves on a number of boards, such as the Triangle Community Foundation. Um, it's my pleasure to serve with him on the board of Habitat for Humanity, um, where actually Burt's Bees has been a great partner to Habitat, helping to bring sustainable building practices into what Habitat's doing. And because of Burt's Bees' uh, leadership, we actually founded the first green affordable housing community in North Carolina uh, called Hope Crossing, not too far from campus here, about a mile or so from campus. He's been a great leader in that way. And also, he's had international humanitarian concerns. He's been an active volunteer with the humanitarian uh, aid organization, AmeriCares. So uh, one last bit of background. He earned his, his uh, BA in history from Dartmouth, where he first got involved in Habitat and is a, as alum stays to be involved, and his MBA is from the Harvard Business School. But we're not going to hold that against him. And he says that his upbringing in New England gives him an appreciation for the ocean and mountains. So please join me in uh, welcoming John Replogo. Thank you. We won't even bother hiding it. We'll just stick it right in my pocket. Beautiful. And Matt, just how do we switch the screen? That'd be great. Thank you. Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. We're, we're, well, we're, we're still in morning. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's great to be here with you all. Uh, this is my second day in Durham, and I'd like to thank uh, Matt and the case team uh, and the entire Net, Net Impact uh, leadership team for inviting me back. Uh, I had last year the great opportunity to uh, be here on campus three different times to talk in different classrooms and different settings. Uh, but frankly, this is my favorite day. Uh, this is a day that resonates for me and really excites me, and it's why I'm more than happy to give up uh, time this morning with my family uh, uh, to be here with all of you. Uh, nothing could be more important uh, than being here at the beginning, the beginning of your experience. I sat in your seat about 15 years ago at the Harvard Business School, uh, and we didn't have a day like this. Uh, we had a welcome. Uh, and different speakers got up and talked about the bottom line and how we're going to learn to be the titans of capitalism, how one day we'll all rule the world. Uh, and that was inspirational to all of us, right? Not exactly. Uh, something was missing. Uh, and what I'm really encouraged to see is how this has grown over time, how this has become, in its sixth year, uh, an extension to the entire uh, first year class, and how more and more uh, of you, more of you and more of your classmates are getting engaged. Uh, and I really think it's wonderful that Duke, the Fuqua School, has really decided to make this a keynote part of the beginning of your experience here. Uh, that it is just so much more uh, than learning uh, about the bottom line. It is indeed 
uh, truly about learning about the triple bottom line. And that's what I want to start with today. I want to spend the next hour or so uh, walking through kind of my journey, uh, our journey at Burt's, uh, and the wider journey of what it means uh, to be a responsible leader uh, in this community uh, and the extended business community. And how indeed, for every one of you, not only is it beautiful timing that you are starting here right now, because by the time you graduate, the economy will be back in full, full blossom and full employment, but, uh, but beautiful timing because so much is changing in the dynamic of business leadership right now. You actually have a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and I hope that you will ingrain that into every part of your learning uh, and your experience over the next two years of what it means to be a responsible leader. But first, I want to start with some business because we are at the business school, right? Um, I ask that everyone bring their HP-12C. <laughs> you all have yours? By the way, this is the one I had at Harvard Business School, still works, and that's my first business card uh, from BCG, taped to the back with formulas about how to calculate present value and other ridiculous things <laughs> that I've never needed to know again. So forget your HP-12C, forget it. All right, so let me start by getting something out of the way. How many of you came here to make lots of money? Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, it's OK to be honest with ourselves, OK? I went to business school to make money, OK? Um, that's fine. That's, you know, that's a, a good endeavor. It's not so much about making money, though. It's ultimately what you do with your money. So as I started my HBS experience, I actually sat in the audience and I thought deeply about uh, what my target was. Anyone ever do that? Anyone ever think about how much is enough? What's your, what's, what's your pocket goal from a financial perspective? I mean, come on. We've all thought about that somewhere along the time. You know, how much is enough? Are you going to make enough money in your lifetime? Are you? Let me assure you, this is what I want to get out of the way. Yes! <laughs> you are all going to make a ton of money. Okay? I scared a baby. Oh my God. <laughs> so, what's the starting salary of a graduating MBA from Duke? Come on, interactivity. First one to answer gets a lip balm. I know you already got one. Yeah. 100,000, good answer. $100,000. What's the average income, average income in our globe around the world? What's the average income? Now, how many people are on the earth? Almost 7 billion. What's the average income? Give me a number. 300 bucks, good. All right. So 300 bucks. So here's where your HP-12C comes in. If 300 bucks is the average, you're going to make 100,000 on graduation. How many times more are you going to make than the average? Brian? A lot. A lot. That's the right answer. <laughs> Frankly, it doesn't matter, right? You're going to make more than enough. So let's assume over your lifetime, you start at 100, wage inflation, you get promoted, all good stuff happens to you. Let's just say for argument's sake, and I'm being conservative, you average $200,000 a year for the next 40 years of your life. <laughs> Not bad, eh? How much is that? Quick, Q. How much, what? How much money is it? <laughs> 200,000 times 40 years is the answer's on the board. Just look up there. It's a lot of money. It's eight million bucks. Is that enough? Now let's say, good, good answer. Um, now let's say that you are, you are prudent and wise because you've been taught great things at the Duke Fuqua School of Business and you save 10% of your income every year. You put it in a great kind of average return, 7%, right? What's the compound annual growth rate? of the stock market in the US over the last 40 years, 7%. Thank you, that's why I got that number. Someone calculate for me what compounded interest is. Adds up to 4.5 million. Come on, you gotta be quicker, guys. So is 12 and a half million enough? No, well, good. You can leave. All right. So 12 and a half million may not be your pocket number, but I have to tell you, frankly, it exceeded mine. 
When I sat in your seat, my number was four million bucks. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I want you to avert a midlife crisis. Because you're gonna make obscene amounts of money. But if you focus your compass, your guiding light on simply making money, what happens when you hit that target? What next? Where do you go from there? You're 45 years old, I'm only 43, but let's say you're even more efficient than me. At 40, you've hit your number. What are you gonna do with the rest of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Right? Give it away, beautiful. Okay, that's a good way to go. So you're all gonna make tons of money, far more than you can prudently, and I wrote prudently spend, because I'm sure many of you will spend more than 12 and a half million in your lifetime. So while money may be a motivator, what will fulfill you when you've hit your, your target, right? I passed my $4 million goal. Thank God I had something else to keep me going. Something else to motivate me. Something else to give me purpose. Because if money alone is the goal, then when you achieve it, what are you gonna do with it? Where are you gonna go from there? What really is gonna give you roots and purpose and value? And that is what you are here to discover. You will all learn how to make a lot of money. The hard job is what really is gonna fuel your life and give it purpose? That's the question. That is, for me, what will differentiate the successful members of this class from those who continue to move on forward without true purpose. Discover that over the next two years and you will have gained a wonderful education. That's the goal. That is what it's all about. A classmate of mine at Harvard Business School said, I would be a far poorer man if I hadn't given away so much. I love that. I'd be a far poorer man if I hadn't given away so much. That's someone who really has a life purpose. Where money is not the ends, money is a means to the ends, and something else is at the end of the rainbow. Now, that's what I want to talk about. So let's start with some tough questions. The theme is all about your impact. It starts today, so let me hit you with some tough questions. Why are you here? Why did you decide to go to business school? Why did you come here to Duke? What are you gonna do the next two years? What is your role in this class, this in university, this community you've now joined because you are now members of the Durham and the North Carolina communities, and frankly, much broader than that, this society? What's your role? How can you, with the benefit and the luxury, and it may not feel that every day when you're grinding out work, but the luxury of the freedom that you've just uh, given yourself over the next 700 days, think about your role and redefine that, okay? How will you define your social contract? You're bound to each other as classmates, as members of this community through one contract. You're bound to Durham and you're about to spend the day out there. And hopefully you find and see things that resonate with you so you can indeed set your social contract. But you're sitting there thinking, my God, what the hell is social contract? I remember that from high school. Something about this guy, John Locke, right? So let's talk about social contract. What is it? Simply put, it's the view that people's moral and political obligations, okay, are dependent on a contract or agreement between them to form society. You are here, you are starting in a new place, and you are, what are you doing? You're forming a society, aren't you? Society of the first year class, society of the Fuqua school, right? You are forming a social contract. What is your political, and more importantly, your moral obligation to each other as you form this contract? You know, the idea of social contract was po postulated long ago by Socrates, was built on by Hobbes, Locke, Rousseau, and it has four key tenets or principles. I want to hit some of those. First of all, individual self-interest, i.e., we are going to do what we want to do. If I am driven by making money, look out, I'm going out to make some money, okay? 
And that is fine. Uh, the nature of humankind is hedonistic. We are individually self-interested. But that we have a moral and political contract with each other. That we will form this civil government, one body politique. Well, I have to say that's a romantic and antiquated notion because there is no one body politique that governs this complex and interdependent world that we live in and that you will lead in. There is no one body politique, right? And finally, the law of nature. So I studied history. Who else studied history? Good, you didn't raise your hand. That was smart because I was going to call on you. What is the law of nature? Law of nature, okay. What is it? It is simply put by John Locke. One is not allowed to take more from nature than oneself can use. Okay? Thereby leaving others without enough for themselves, because nature is given to all of mankind by God for its common subsistence. One cannot take more than his own fair share. That's an underlying principle of the social contract. Fundamental question. How well are we doing? Are we living by that? Do you live by that? How do we think about that, right? We're not abiding by it today. You know, frankly, this idea of one body politique is gone. It doesn't exist. You know, NATO is not it, right? There is no great superpower anymore. The world is complex and interdependent. So what the heck do we do when the social contract breaks down, guys? What do we do? What happens? Fundamentally, that is a question that each and every one of you are going to have the opportunity to answer over the next two years, over the next 20 years, over your entire lifetime. You are leaders. You have been given a great gift. Uh, and you will get to shape and direct and form through your networks the answer, the solution to that question. Okay? It's not a hopeless situation. New forms of governance are required. New forms of leadership are required. We fundamentally need a new social contract. So where do we go from here? Right? Basically, uh, we need the rise of what is a postmodern social contract. And you will have the chance to define that. It is being defined in front of you at this moment. It's why after six years of doing this program, they went from 30 people to 200 people. You get it. You understand. Right? you're going to have the incredible opportunity not just to make hordes of cash, but to redefine the social contract in this postmodern world. You know, we've got, we've got things that cross boundaries. We've got AIDS and SARS and swine flu and global climate change, and we don't have a governing body to answer that question, right? So where do we turn to for the answer? Uh, well, we turn to a, a new force. Frankly, we turn to business. Because business, folks, exists beyond the boundaries of politics, right? Business is the most powerful force on earth. And I would love to debate you on that, okay? But I'm going to give you my, my postulate. I believe business is the most powerful force on earth. It has the potential to be the new unifying global social contract. Business success is predicated on meeting the needs of people, i.e. consumers. And ultimately, that, therefore, it means that business leadership is the ultimate call to service. How about that? You're all called to serve. And how you lead in your business career will determine how well we do as a global entity in forming this new uh, postmodern social contract. Business. Of the 100 largest economies in the world, how many are business? 51. Okay, 51 of the largest economies on earth are businesses. The top 200 corporation sales are greater than a quarter of the world's economic activity. Think about that, 200 corporations, a quarter of the world's economic activity. Do you think that's power? Do you think that's power, right? They have, the top 200 have twice the economic clout of the poorest four fifths of humanity, 200, greater economic clout than 80% of the people on earth. How about that? 80 times 7 billion, 5.6 billion people who have less combined economic power than 200 corporations. 
sitting in this room, it's very likely that there are people who will lead one of those 200 corporations. Remember, 5.6 billion people today have less economic clout than the top 200 corporations. I mean, and then you go on. Philip Morris is bigger than New Zealand. Walmart is bigger than 161 countries, including Israel, Poland, Greece. Mitsubishi is larger than Indonesia. I mean, it just keeps going. Business is powerful. And with power comes responsibility. You are all charged with a great gift. You will influence the outcome of the world. You will not only make yourselves rich and, and fill yourselves with success, but you have the opportunity to fundamentally change the world. And not only an opportunity, but a responsibility. I charge you all today with taking that, that responsibility forward with you, thinking deeply about it over the next two years and how you're going to put it to use as the world evolves. Over the last hundred years, let's go through it, industrialization, right? We had the rise of the industrials, also known uh, politely and commonly as robber barons. Remember them? Nice name, robber baron, huh? I bet you feel really good at the end of the day. Hey, honey, <laughs> I robbed more stuff. I mean, it was, it was a free fall. Uh, and ultimately what happened was uh, legislation came into place to contain power, but it was unchecked. Now, not everyone was evil. Uh, they were painted with a, with a broad brush of robber baron, but certainly the term is justifiable in any stereotype. There is some form of truth, and there are absolutely great case examples of how uh, the richest exploited the poorest and took advantage for their own, own wealth. Look at the Vanderbilt family, 14 different mansions, 100 billion in wealth. You see something funny happening in the mid-1900s. You have this emergence of a business social contract, right? There's more and more wealth, but people are thinking, what are they doing? Retrospectively, at the end of life, I've made my number. It is time for me to now think about what comes next. Is that a bad thing? No, not necessarily. Frankly, I'd rather have the Gates and the Buffets of the world giving away their fortunes uh, than keeping them. Uh, but it is one thing to do it at the end of your life. It's another to do it all throughout your life. So what we're now seeing is this new socially conscious business uh, giving rise. They're all over. They are starting with the end in mind. They are start being started by people just like you across the country and across the globe. They are thinking different, and they are forming a very different social contract where business has a very different purpose and role. Uh, and this gives me incredible hope. It says to me that the global interdependent complexities that we face will be solved. As long as more and more people begin to blur the line between business and social uh, enterprise, as more, as more people sit in your chair and think deeply about it and commit their heart, their mind, and their soul to it, we're going to be all right but it depends on folks like you. The door is opening, and it's my invitation to you to kick it wide open and lead forward. So what does it mean for you? Think deeply about that. Where, do you, where will you play? How will you define your purpose? It's a rich opportunity. It is also an incredible challenge that needs great leadership. And I love this idea. This is a company that has redefined their mission. Okay, anyone ever heard of Patagonia? Yeah, a lot of folks. Patagonia, a lot of people, if I asked you to write the mission statement for Patagonia, you might think, well, it's to make the greatest outdoor sporting equipment that enables man to conquer the highest mountain. Noble, mission statement, right? Not it at all. Unique leader, Yvonne Chouinard, maybe you'll hear from him at some point in time. He often speaks to net impact uh, audiences around the country. Yvonne Chouinard, wrote this as the mission for Patagonia. It exists as a business to inspire, inspire, and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. That is the mission of Patagonia. Is that a business or is that a social enterprise? That sounds like a social enterprise, but yet it's a very successful business that at least kind of three quarters of the audience has heard of. Amazing, it's this blurring, right? 
It means you can have your cake and you can eat it too. You can do good and do well, yeah? And that's the notion of the triple bottom line. Triple bottom line, people, planet, profit. It's about a different kind of scorecard. It's not just about how much you can put on the bottom of the P&L every quarter, right? It's about what your impact is in the community you serve on the planet we all share. Triple bottom line. And what I want to do with you is just canter through some of the examples of how Burt's Bees is trying to think differently, work differently, is creating this quasi-business social enterprise, and how we live by this triple bottom line. Company started 25 years ago by two incredible hippies, Roxanne and Bert. Uh, Bert was a real beekeeper, living up in Hardscrabble, Maine. Roxanne was a graphic artist raising two twins. Our car broke down on way to work one day. Bert drives by in a dirty old pickup truck, picks her up, drives her into town. They get to talking. She looks in the back, what's he got back there? But big jars of, of honey. He's selling by the roadside. Roxanne said, those are wonderful, but what you need is a label, smaller jars, and make them pretty. She designed a label, Burt's Bees Honey, and guess what? Burt's Bees was born. She then discovered all this trove. He was very resourceful, treasure trove of wax. She then started making candles, and one, one thing led to another, and along came this little gem. Ah, <laughs> lip balm! She discovered a great lip balm formulation, and voila, Burt's Bees, the company, was formed. Um, but they had a common purpose. These were two uh, idealists, uh, two incredibly resourceful people, uh, and they set out a mission to create uh, an earth-friendly natural personal care company with a mission of making people's lives better every day naturally. And we've been doing that for 25 years. And <clears throat> I didn't know this, but this idea, this business model, was formed as I sat in a class at Harvard Business School my second year, and I listened to Herb Kelleher, the CEO of Southwest Airlines, talk about his business model. And he put it up on the board, and he said, I don't have any fear about sharing my business model, because frankly, I've got the secret sauce, and I can share it with you, and no one will be able to copy it. And he went on to talk about how he had this unique business model, and yeah, they had these assets, and planes and turnover and all that, but the secret sauce was for Herb and for Southwest and why they've been one of the most successful airlines in the United States was fundamentally about what's the difference on Southwest? Anyone ever fly Southwest? What was it? People. people. The difference with Southwest is people. You know, you get on board, you're greeted with a friendly smile, there are a couple of jokes coming over the intercom, you actually get a decent ride, you know, and you feel like this is a little bit different. And it's all about people, and what Herb taught me sitting in that classroom, and I wrote it down, and I'll share it with you, is hire for will and train for skill, right? A lot of people get that backwards. They, they hire for skill, and then they try to train people into will. You can't change a person's will, right? Hire for will, train for skill. That was his secret sauce. He shared that with me and his business model, and with that, I've kind of carried that around all my life, and then eventually, I got to this place, this magical place called Burt's Bees. It had all these ingredients. It had the pieces of the puzzle, and we snapped it together, and we call it living the greater good. This is our business model. And it's all about three things in relationship with each other. Natural products and delivering well-being for our consumers, and making a difference on that dimension driving humanitarian social responsibility and being responsible for the earth and being one of the most sustainable uh, environmental companies that we can be. That is what we look at. That is our scorecard. Those are the drivers of our business model, and it's all about the relationship between them and, importantly, what's in the middle, which is we have a contract. I go back to social contract. Our secret sauce is we have a contract. We have a responsibility to our consumers, our customers, our community, our vendors, our industry, and our government. And interestingly, we put industry in there. We do not have competitors. Uh, we have industry collaborators. Together, we can change the nature and the shape of the personal care business. We just have to figure out how. 
That's our business model. I want to take you crisply through each of these three circles. So the first one on natural well-being uh, begins with this idea that we strive to uh, formulate 100% natural ingredients. Why? Because they work uh, in harmony with your skin. They're better for you. The average woman eats eight pounds of lipstick in her lifetime. Thank you, ladies. Enjoy that meal. Think about eight pounds of lipstick you ingest over your lifetime. It better be good stuff, eh? Okay. So we take the best from Earth, and we must defend and protect the Earth. Sustainability is crucial to our survival, not just as people, but as a business. Sustainability is at the roots of what we do. We believe in cradle-to-cradle -cradle management and protection of our ecosystem. We measure what we bring in from suppliers. We measure our suppliers on their sustainability record. We look at our own shop. We set our own goals. Uh, and we ensure that we're co collaborating with our customers to be more sustainable. And there's an incredibly important thing, obviously. We are a bee company. Anyone ever heard of colony collapse disorder? Yeah? The disappearance of the honeybee. One third of our food that we eat that comes onto our plate depends on bees for pollination. All our fruits, nuts, and yet the honeybee is disappearing. It's under great duress. It's under environmental stress. So we have made that a key part of trying to protect the honeybee. Uh, and we put our money where our mouth is uh, on that. And I just want to share this with you quickly. How many people have ever seen a Burt's Bees ad? Maybe one or two. What was it? Was it a TV ad or print ad? Print. Yeah, we do do a little bit of print advertising now. So uh, I want to share with you our first ever ad. Um, and it's a different kind of ad. Uh, we did not go on TV. Uh, we actually went to the movie theaters. And we talked about colony collapse disorder. So for a company that has a marketing budget of a little less than a few dollars, <laughs> we put it into this ad that I want to share with you. The food we eat depends on bees for pollination, but the honeybees are disappearing fast. We need to save them, because without the honeybees, the fruits, the vegetables, and the flowers that depend on them will also disappear. Scientists have named this mysterious disappearance of the bees, colony collapse disorder. The causes are still unknown. You may not have heard much about it, but you will. Hi, I'm Bird of Bird's Bees. We believe the bees' survival depends on how we manage and protect our world. Bird's Bees is funding research to help find a solution. You can help too. Support your local organic farmer, plant a seed. Make the planet a healthy place where the bees can thrive. By saving the bees, we save a lot more than the bees. Visit birdsbees.com to receive your free packet of seeds and to learn more about colony collapse disorder. Little different type of ad, isn't it? Um, not your usual flashy 60-second spot, uh, but advertising with a purpose, right? Advertising that resonates back to our core values of what we believe in uh, and invests against that. Is that good business? What's the ROI on that ad? I can't exactly tell you, but it's the right thing for us to do as a business. Secondly, we worked with industry partners. Again, this notion of your competitors uh, we actually got our leading competitors around the table, and we wrote an industry standard. We said, you know what? It is ambiguous what natural stands for. There are people pulling the wool over others' eyes. Uh, if I, we did consumer research, if we were to ask you, name a natural product, you might mention something like a vino that talks about active naturals, which is full of synthetic ingredients you should not use on your body. Uh, and yet, you know, they're out there masquerading. So we said, you know, we, we need to be responsible. We got together with the industry and we wrote this, a standard. We held ourselves accountable to a standard. We self-policed and self-regulated, okay? Because it's the right thing to do for consumers. If we really believe in helping consumers make the best choice for their well-being, for example, you can imagine a young woman who's just been diagnosed with breast cancer and her doctor says to her, you need to think about using natural ingredients. And she goes to the store. And there are brands out there that are claiming natural that truly aren't. 
Are they protecting her well-being? Or are they looking out for their bottom line? How can we help consumers make the best choice for their well-being? That is about living that principle of the greater good and trying to be transparent as a principle for our consumers. So collaborating with our competitors to self-regulate, self-police, and set a standard for the industry. The second circle, so moving down, is about social responsibility. It's about recognizing that we as a company are incredibly blessed. We are a profitable, healthy, growing business. Uh, and yet, we are part of a wider fabric. And what we do for our, our human and animal rights, so I showed you the B, right? Obviously, we're doing energy, putting energy and effort against that. But what we do for our employees and for our community makes a difference. So as we think about culture at Burt's Bees, which is an incredibly important part of who we are, we think about not trying to force or change people's beliefs, but to create an environment where their best behaviors, their best values can flourish. That's our contract with our employees. And to make a difference, to make an impact in the community in which we operate. That's why we picked up and moved our headquarters uh, from Research Triangle Park into downtown Durham to be part of the revitalization of this once great city and see if we can help. And since we've moved, others have moved as well. That's just about our contract. And what I want to do with you here now is share what we're doing. Obviously, Matt mentioned Habitat. We're active participants. We are building homes right beside you guys. And it is one of the things that I think I am most proud of in my last several years with Burt's Bees. Not only making a difference in a community and forming this green community where people can move into homes and live safely and flourish in a community and have their utility bills come to $26 a month. That's about changing people's lives and changing communities. And we've done it by building homes, but we've also had a lot of additional fun, and I want to show you uh, how we build this right into the culture of our business. Um, okay, here it is. So last year what we did is we closed our operations uh, for a day, and we brought our people, 450 from around the world, flew them in from Australia, the UK, everywhere, uh, and we came together as a, as a company to strengthen our culture and our values, but to put them to practice in our community. And we went out with the help of Kaboom, and we changed the community. crescendo of the wheel. I want to promise you also that at the end of the day your muscles are going to be aching and your back will be very sore. <laughs> but the last thing I'm going to promise you that you are going to feel so good. We work hard all day, all week in our jobs and it's the day that we all leave that and come together as a group and work together to build something. It shows that the company that I work for really cares. It will actually give other companies 
that say, okay, yeah, we need to go out and support and help our community also. This is one of the best teams that you can have. You know, everybody comes together as one and put together, and try to put together a nice playground for the kids. It's pretty overwhelming, but it's really cool, especially with the heat out here. But, you know, at Birds Bees, we're all about our values, and we like to have and share the behavior that define our values, and we care as one of them. So it's a pretty cool thing to be out here and help people out. Starting to look like a bench. Had to to mandate a water break already, um, just because people aren't taking breaks. I'm just trucking through it. It goes along with our culture, steadfast commitment to the greater good, just improving the community around us and giving back to the community. And I'm very, very proud and excited to work for Burt's Bees and be able to participate in this. You're gonna make everybody feel wonderful. It doesn't matter how hot it is. We realize we're doing it for a great cause. Uh, when we go home, we lay down our pillows back. We're gonna make us feel good. We get so much from the community in the area that we're giving back, and it's just a great feeling. I think one of the greatest satisfactions I get in my job is to see people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, come together for the common good of doing good for somebody else that is less fortunate than we are. We're going to really live two values today. We're going to live the value of steadfast commitment to the greater good, because we're going to have fun, but we're going to do good work. Uh, along the way and changing uh, a community. Cut it there. It was uh, it was an awesome day. Uh, it was a memorable day, and you know the payback of that stuff is what goes into every individual's heart. Uh, it, it's what pulls you together as a business, uh, and you as leaders are going to have the ability to shape and determine the culture of the organizations in which you work. Uh, this isn't something I was taught at Harvard Business School. This is something I learned uh, along the way. And you are all going to be in these wonderful positions uh, to influence and shape culture. Uh, and the benefits, the intangible benefits of creating a vibrant culture pay dividends every single day. Uh, and we've so enjoyed kind of being a part of the community and seeing individuals in our team flourish. Uh, it really changes the dynamic of how we work back as a community within Burt's Bees uh, within e with each other. And I want to congratulate you guys as well. How many folks have been out to the Habitat build? Hard work, huh? I forgot to mention on our Kaboom day it was 104 degrees. That's why the heat was mentioned. It's hot out there building. And uh, there are a couple, I don't know if any of you are in that picture up top. Uh, but that's four people who were out at the build this week. Um, and uh, I congratulate you for the sweat equity you put into it. That's what everyone who gets a habitat, builds a habitat home does, is they work out there and put in sweat equity. But you also have a challenge to raise $25,000 to fund the house. How are you doing in raising that money? Now again, here you can get your HP12C out. There are 800 people at Fuqua, right? 25 grand. That means you have to either have to give or get 31.25, right? Each. Well, guess what? Here's my here's my 31.25. Okay, as a member of this community. <laughs> One down, 799 to go. But you're changing a family's life and in so doing, making a great impact in this community. So I thank you for all that great work. Um, at Burt's, our third dimension then is the environmental sustainability piece. Uh, you may not know, but Duke or Fuqua's goal is what in terms of sustainability? It's to be the global leader as a business school in sustainability. 
you want to learn more about that, there's a board right outside, two boards side by side. It talks about what Duke's doing, uh, about all the commitment to lead certification, leadership in environmental engineering and design. Uh, take part in that. Uh, I applaud uh, Duke and Fuqua's energy there. And in fact, Durham, where you are right now, we are the second fastest lead certified uh, developing community in the United States. So amazing leadership going on here. And at Burt's, we look at four key goals, reducing uh, water use, uh, increasing wastewater reuse, reducing waste to landfill, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We are a company uh, that since I've uh, joined three and a half years ago has doubled in size. We're growing at about 30% per year. Uh, and so the question is, how do you lessen your footprint as you continue to grow? I'm happy to say that while we've doubled our company size, uh, over the last few years, we have made uh, substantial impact against these. But we aren't perfect. It's a learning journey, and you have to be forgiving, because sometimes we act and feel like cavemen. Uh, so we continue to learn. Um, our goals are really clear, though, and I am a big believer in setting goals. Big, hairy, audacious goals. Our BHAGs uh, are incredible. So we sat down and we said, what would be a BHAG for, for this? We want to be uh, the greenest personal care company on earth by 2020. What would we need to do to achieve that? We set some very specific goals, including 100% of our employees engage, engaged against it, being 100% natural, 100% renewable energy, getting off the grid, uh, lead certified, and zero waste to landfill. We've cut our energy by 30% over the last three years uh, while doubling our size. We've cut our water use, uh, non-product water use, by 50%. Uh, and we've cut our waste to landfill while doubling in size by 85%. We used to throw away, and I'm ashamed, 27 tons of waste per month as a company. And we called ourselves a green company. Sorry, 29 tons. By focus, by setting the goal of saying we're going to be zero waste by 2020, we had no idea how we would get there. We're on our way. And by the end of this year, we will be a zero waste to landfill company. We will have achieved our 2020 goal that we set out three and a half years ago, not understanding how we were going to get there. We're going to get there. And I'll tell you, the answer was not about me. It was about we because stuff like this is collective behavior. Stuff like this is about culture. One of the key elements we put in place is every single employee of Burt's Bees has a bonus, and that bonus is based on what? The triple bottom line. And one of our key goals that every single person is bonused on at Burt's Bees is our environmental goals. Are we hitting them? So from top to bottom, from me to the newest employee, we have environmental sustainability goals that we're all accountable for. And this stuff gets measured, and we talk about it as a business. And by the way, the best way to do it is to make it a team sport. <laughs> it, you know, trash can be serious business, uh, but it can also be a lot of fun. So let me show you one last video here. sharing it with everyone. So we'll bring all the employees through. There's at least one piece of material in all this that, that every employee is going to recognize and hopefully remember that they put that into a trash can at some point and hopefully we'll spur some thought that maybe we can find another home for these things. 
now we're sorting it into basically three categories, stuff that we do currently recycle that should not be in the trash, items that could possibly be recycled if we had an outlet, and then the last pile is things that are truly trash. You can just imagine over an entire year how much room this would take up in a landfill. Well, we've got everyone from marketing to financial forecasting to the safety department to customer care uh, to some of our production employees mixed in. Today's event is designed to educate our employees about the choices we make every day, about what we do and don't throw away. The opportunity that we have to make a difference, it's, it's awesome. And we will make a difference. That's from Bad Barb. <laughs>
We've got a new industrial revolution. Guys, it's right in front of you. You were born under a lucky star. This is a great moment uh, to be alive and to be uh, a leader in business. Carpe diem. Grab it. Make your lives important. As the future leaders, you will write the postmodern social contract. You get to put your imprint on it. You uh, will make the difference. And I encourage you to lead with your heart more than your head. The answer is within you. You need to discover it. Be a force for good in your communities. Think globally, but act locally. Make a difference everywhere you work. Embrace the triple line and redefine the principles of what great business leadership is all about. Right now, your new home, right? The place where you are, Matt mentioned some great things about the history of this place. Hey, this is a tale of two cities. North Carolina at one stage 50 years ago was the 48th poorest state in the United States. It's now the eighth wealthiest. Uh, we're on a great curve. We're rich in natural, natu natural treasures like parks, mountains, oceans. Duke is one of the richest universities in the world with a $6 billion endowment. Okay, so it's a story of hope, and on the other hand, we've got a lot to do. We're 39th in child welfare as a state. We are not putting our wealth to work to provide for the children. We are the Saudi Arabia of waste. This state creates and imports more waste uh, than 48 other states in the country. We are our waste capital. We need to do something about that. And ultimately, Durham County is the poorest county in North Carolina. 20% of the people living in your backyard, your new neighbors, live below the poverty line. So think about that as you enjoy the wealth and the riches created by the Fuqua family, by the endowment of Duke, by all the goodness that has been given to you here. Think about your neighbors. Act locally. Challenge yourself as you go over the course of the next 700 days. And I want to talk a bit about the soft stuff. Because for me, I can't remember a damn thing about how to formulate the Black-Scholes model. <laughs> but I sure remember the final messages from my professors, the teachings from my classmates about the soft stuff. You will hear a ton about principle and how to calculate principal interest. You will learn about value and how to drive value for the corporation and deliver wealth for shareholders. Yeah? Those are important elements of a business school education, and you will indeed hear a lot about leadership. I encourage you to think about adding the S. Yeah? So think not just about principle, but think about your principles. Define your values and your compass and who you will be as a leader and how you will make a difference in this world as you go and amass your wealth and your fortune. What will your net impact be? What is that guiding principle and set of values? What will be the force that motivates you after you've hit your number so you can get up and do it again and do it with a smile and feel fulfilled? What are your principles? What will define you as a leader? What are your values? Yeah? You're going to be tested. There are going to be hard choices. And you're going to make mistakes. And the difference is whether or not you stay true to your core set of values. And those values are forming today. And they'll form in conjunction with your classmates. Encourage each other to think deeply about values. And finally, add an S to leadership. Think about servant leadership. Think about not the pyramid and trying to reach the top of the pyramid, but inverting that pyramid. And when you become the leader, the titan of industry, think about how you can serve others. Remember to add the S. The soft stuff is the hard stuff, guys. So let me encourage you to learn and grow and not waste time studying. It doesn't matter. Seek rich and rewarding experience. Don't worry about your grades. You will never remember what grade you got in Econ 2 or Marketing 101. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The soft stuff is the hard stuff. Volunteer, don't opt out. 
right? Net impact, not no impact, okay? Greenfire, local development company, not Goldman. Think about <laughs> net impact, not net income. Apply your gifts. You have gifts, guys. Use them wisely. Apply them. This is a great time of experimentation. You have the gift of youth, of intellect, of time, and of community with one another. How you apply them will make all the difference. Yeah? So let me close with this. Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, right? Talked about inspiring. Well, he went on to say, you know what? We exist as a business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis, but inspiration needs noise. To make a difference, you need to go out and yell and shout and extol. You can't go quietly into that good night. Yeah? It needs noise. It needs leadership to inspire solutions to the environmental crisis. You have to go public with your own. You have to be explicit. Great words from Yvonne Chouinard. And I'll close with one of my favorite quotes and ask you, what will your noise be? What is your noise? How do you find your voice as a leader? What will be your net impact? And to quote Walt Whitman, Oh me, oh life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amongst these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists in identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you will contribute a verse. What will your verse be? What will your verse be? It's time to write that. Thanks so much.